Well, Jenna, thanks for getting together with me. Looking forward to talking with you. And I'll try to introduce you. You're, do you call yourself a life coach? Yeah, that's definitely an emotional freedom coach specifically. Emotional freedom coach. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting title. Yeah. And we've known each other from um, back a pretty good ways when we were a part of the same church. Yes. Are you still there? No, I've actually moved on to a different home church, um, but super fond memories of our home church um, that we met each other at. And gosh, that seems so long ago, like so it long was. ago, Will. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> so how else would you describe you as a person? Oh, goodness. Um, so I'm, I would say I'm very just passionate about kind of where I'm at in life right now and the journey it's taken me to get here. And um, so with being an emotional freedom coach, I've really kind of bottlenecked what I do into that vein of really just being passionate about helping people break free emotionally. Um, and I just recently launched a nonprofit that is really about that. It's called Resilient Ministries. And um, it's we just started it, so it's just in the launching phase. So it's brand spanking new. But um, it's exciting because everything that's built into that ministry is really geared toward what I'm super passionate about, which is helping women specifically, but it definitely can translate for men um, in certain areas, uh, but just helping them walk free emotionally and not just be so trapped in being afraid of having emotions or um, letting emotions lead them in life, because I've been on both of those spectrums. And um, so I just am super passionate about that. I do life coaching with that, and I also um, am a director of operations at our nonprofit, family-run nonprofit for counseling, and um, that is also a joy to be able to work with family and support that ministry and that organization administratively and operationally. Um, and then I just, I'm super creative. I love to do creative things and just explore kind of what else can I get my hands into and have fun with and bring others along for the joy and the ride and um, just not take myself too seriously because I can definitely get <laughs> into a serious vein pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of high level and 36, about to be 37, which is really crazy to me. Um, I still feel like the the young pup that I was back at the church, <laughs> running around barefooted. But um, yeah, so just moving along right in life. Um, single, not married, no kids. I just recently got into a relationship, and it's going pretty well. Um, we're letting God lead that, and um, it's pretty cool to have just like a healthy, God-centered relationship. So we'll see where that goes well. <laughs> yeah. But that's about me. So. Your title, Emotional Freedom Coach, is kind of interesting to me. Um, so can you explain what you mean by um, emotional freedom? I mean, you kind of um, uh, talked about like not being led by emotions or controlled by emotions or something. Is that, can you just go into more detail about that? Yeah, definitely. So really our mission statement is to help help women so we're geared toward women really so to help women build better relationships with God's self and others through enabling them to experience embrace and express their emotions and so a lot of times especially with women uh, men also struggle with this as well but it's this kind of belief system that emotions are either too big to handle um we're not capable to handle them, so we shut them down, or we don't put any boundaries on them and enable ourselves to say, hey, I, you know, I'm kind of feeling some things, and what is that? Like, to step into that 
space and process those things that just feels sometimes really overwhelming and scary for people. Um, so they don't, and they just kind of get caught up in the cyclone of what emotion can be um, when it's not cared for, intended to in, a, in an appropriate way. And that wreaks havoc on relationships around us. And um, and then on the other spectrum, you have maybe where there's kind of been some emotional abuse in in the past when we're growing up and have had messages told to men like, you don't know, real men don't cry. And that's where men kind of internalize, like, I can't have... I can't have emotions, right? Or um, women say, like, you're too sensitive or you're too emotional, get it together. So then they say, well, I can't have emotions then. So it's these kind of core messages that get laid pretty early on in life about our emotions either being too much or not enough. And um, we kind of fix that internal dilemma with a message of belief that just says, well, if I'm too much or not enough emotionally, then I just can't show up with emotions. And so... But emotions are there, right? Whether we like it or not, we're human beings wired for emotion. So it either is an explosion aspect in relationship or an implosion one. Um, So you see somebody super reserved and they don't experience emotion at all out like externally. And then that creates distance and isolation or somebody is super driven by their emotions and it's explosive. And then it creates a toxic, abusive environment and people isolate from them. So it can just, it it runs the gamut for sure, but that's where the parameters of really being able to value emotions in a proper way and learn how to deal with them is really important. So what does um, being healthy in an emotional way look like? It looks like really, and that's kind of where like in our mission statement, we say um, experiencing, embracing, and expressing. I really think that that, I mean, I'm not the end all be all with this, you know, at all, but at least what God has led me in and what, what I'm passionate about is really showing if we don't let ourselves experience emotion in a safe space within ourselves that says, I'm allowed to feel this without having to just act on it. Right. So many times we think like, feel, act, feel, act, that there's no pause between those two. So, we just get in this feeling or we get in a situation to where it's like, as soon as we feel we have to do something with it. Um, and that's not, that's not a healthy dynamic because we want to be able to pause and say, Hmm, where's this feeling coming from? Because truly emotionally, um, emotions come from a state of mind. And, um, so when we can pause and experience the emotion, but in a way that says, all right, I'm feeling it. I need to understand it. It's kind of like almost, I say this a lot with you know my clients and my friends, and I say, you got to just put detective hat on, right? I just said it the other night to one of my clients um, and you know, with her last name, I'll, I'll use my last name just for confidentiality purposes. But I said, you know, you just have to be like Detective Barbosa, right? Like you just have to get into that mindset that you're just Detective Barbosa for a few days. You're just observing yourself. You're observing those emotions and um, experiencing them in a way that you don't have to act on them, but you can understand them. And so that is something that's super important to be able to handle. And so when you get through the experiencing phase, then that embracing phase is really where you say, okay, I'm going to embrace my emotions as they are and not judge them and not punish me because I have them. Um, And it's a way to kind of lead with self-compassion and grace and love that says like, my my feelings are valid. My feelings are 
are um, valuable, and so I'm going to treat them as such. Therefore, I can then ask others to do the same, right? And then you follow it with the expressing phase, which is essentially saying, hey, okay, I've experienced these emotions. I've embraced them. Now I can express them in a way that is led with wisdom, discernment, um, just common courtesy, right? I don't have to, I can put a filter on my emotions and express them in a way that is productive for relationship versus just kind of an emotional vomit or verbal vomit situation. Um, I always kind of tell people, you know, we're not designed to be people's emotionally la- emotional laundry baskets. Um, we can hold it for a moment, but you know those people that do laundry and they just leave the laundry in the motion in the in the laundry basket for like days and weeks and they just kind of live out of it. That's typically how sometimes we can get in relationship is we basically say like you're my emotional laundry basket or I'm your emotional laundry basket and we just live out of each other's emotions instead of having the responsibility to put up our own emotions. So that's I think what emotional healthiness looks like is the ability to walk through those three dynamics um and it, it, it happens, the more we practice that, it happens on a quicker scale to where we can pretty much process that when it happens and, and understand where we are and then express in a way that's productive and not just dump it in somebody else and say like, here's all my emotion, you handle it, and I'll just kind of pick and choose what I need on the day-to-day. So the laundry basket illustration, is that like, um, like are you talking about like the uh, dealing with emotion in a way um, like we're just not dumping it on someone. Is that kind of what you mean by the laundry basket illustration? Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. To where we, when we don't walk emotionally healthy, um, we, we still, so even if we're not expressing our emotions to someone in a way that says like, Hey, this hurt or Hey, I'm feeling this today. <clears throat> we can still be able to, um, interact with them in an emotional way that we might not be knowing, right? So people feel like, oh, okay, you're feeling a little agitated right now. So, you know, I'm feeling that, like what you just did or said, even though it wasn't expressing that agitation, I definitely got that blowback from it, right? And so that's another way to kind of dump emotions on us to be able to not have that internal boundary and say, okay, I'm feeling agitated. I need to not just take it out on this person. I need to process through this agitation and recognize that what I do and say affects other people in life. We're not living on an island alone. So therefore I need to have responsibility for my own emotions and not just expect people to be a place that I can just have emotion without thought of consequence with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, um, I've noticed in myself that, um, you know, emotions uh, really uh, have so much to do with how I act. Like mm-hmm. if something um, good happens, like I get good news on the telephone or something, then I walk into the other room and I might go over to someone, give them a hug, and mm-hmm. they have no idea why, and I don't even think about why. Um, it's just that um, I'm carrying that emotion with me and yeah. it dictates how I act. And sometimes if we're having like a, a rough negative emotion, um, and then it's almost like uh, it's going to af- affect how we act in some way. It's not like we can just kind of shield <laughs> shield that right. off. Um, and with people who know us really well, they probably are kind of picking up subtle mm-hmm. clues, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. And I think the biggest, <clears throat> I think the biggest lie that we can believe is that. 
we can feel emotions and keep them in without having it affect outwardly. And just like you're saying, like you, we carry it with us. Like we as humans don't have that supernatural ability to just feel something and not have it show up mm-hmm. within the relationships around us. And so I think that whenever we can challenge that belief, um, I think we're going to be able to be positioned to have better relationships overall because we can then understand no matter how I feel, it's going to come out, whether it comes out right now when I'm feeling it or in a day or two, like it's going to come out of me because it's in me. So I need to process it in me and sometimes out with like a counselor or with a friend or with, you know, your partner or spouse or whoever, family member that's good for processing. But I need to have the responsibility to process this emotion and not just more so in a, in a naive way think like, oh, it's just going to be there and stay there like a quiet little kid in the corner, right? Right. It kind of has a mind of its own sometimes, <laughs> those emotions. I always say they're like toddlers. Well, you can't let them drive your car. You can't shove them in the trunk either. You got to put them in the back seat, buckle them in safely where you can engage with them, but be in control so that they can interact in a safe way. Hmm. Some of this reminds me a little bit of... Um like what people refer to when they're talking about mindfulness and stuff like mm. that, because um, it's kind of like um, not being just caught up in your head, but rather separating yourself from it mm. and then um, observing kind of your thoughts. And then in this case, observing your emotions and almost looking at it in a dis- detached way as like um, there's anger right now mm-hmm. Um that um, I'm experiencing um, and kind of stepping back from it rather than being so much in it. You can't separate the anger from you and, you know, and so forth. But um, it seems like that can be helpful um, mm-hmm. in, in just because then you're dealing with it rather than being controlled by it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, but. Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um, <clears throat> kind of on like a neurological level that actually what you're saying is what's happening really neurologically is that emotions come from our emotional center in our brain, uh, the amygdala area that gets ignited. And when that is ignited emotionally, it actually kind of suppresses our prefrontal cortex, which is where reasoning happens, wisdom, deductive reasoning, like, hey, what choices do I need to make here? Um, So whatever that happens like they don't operate on the same level um and so it's almost like a teeter-totter of sorts and so when you have high emotion you have low processing when you have high processing you can have lower emotion and Hmm. so um that's why it's so important to get good at processing your emotion when you're not emotionally so triggered and in that heightened state that's why like counseling is so important. That's why processing through, hey, you know what? Yesterday when I really, <clears throat> when I interacted in an angry way or a, you know, a whatever way, um, this is, I think this is what was going on and talking that through and understanding it, just processing it takes the power off of the emotional uh, connection that had happened so that you, your brain doesn't just remember like, oh, I remember this trigger. So that means this level of anger and, um, you know, and anger too, I think part of, you know, I work so much in the emotional world, um, and I'm a woman, so I'm a little bit more (laughs) emotional just to begin with, but, 
<clears throat> which is fine, ladies, it's fine. <laughs> um, and not fine in the way that you're like, it's fine, it's fine, it's all fine, right? It's like, it's beautiful, God made us that way. So embrace it. Um, but in that dynamic, though, you've got to look at saying, okay, learning about emotions in a way that says some of them are secondary emotions, um, meaning like anger is a secondary emotion to pain or to hurt. And so when we are hurt or when we're feeling pain, we operate in basically one of two ways, uh, fear or anger. And there's different dynamics of anger. Um, you know, with anger, you've got like agitation I was talking about earlier. You've got even sarcasm is a form of anger. Um, things like, uh, you know, frustration, irritation, annoyance, those type of things are all on the, on the anger scale. Then you have fear scale. You have control, anxiety, um, you know, racing thoughts, hypervigilance, like all those things. And so when you get to be able to understand, hey, how I'm feeling might actually not be about the thing I'm feeling it about, but it might be triggering something that's deeper that makes me point toward maybe I had an unmet expectation that was maybe unrealistic and maybe realistic. But it's my responsibility to look at that and not just try to fix the symptomatic thing of you said this, so now I'm agitated or you or this happened. So now I'm angry or fearful. Um, OK, what is that causing to feel off kilter within me on that hurt level or pain level um, and then be able to process through that? Mm-hmm. Man, I think if we could get so good at doing that, like I just really, really believe in my heart of hearts that relationships would change for just such such depth of impact in a bigger way to be able to process and communicate, just get it out on the table and understand it a little bit. Yeah. Um, sometimes, um, when I'm dealing with some emotion, you know, emotion, or I'm just feeling strongly about something or another, um, just kind of journaling, writing about it can be helpful. Mm -hmm. But, um, sometimes there's, you know, this is pretty uncommon, but there have been times where um, there's like this distress going on mm-hmm. and um, anxiety's building. Um, and the only thing that helps is just to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And when it um, and when I have done that, it's like it just all kind of flows out, you know, all mm-hmm. that pent up stuff. Um, and it seems like there's no substitute for that sometimes. And um w- one time, um, I remember calling somebody. It was like around one thirty or something in the morning, and uh, I um, and I, I knew this guy stays up really late. But I thought <laughs> this is like really pushing it. Um, but he took my phone call, and um, we ended up talking till about three <clears> thirty. He didn't need to. I mean, we after about fifteen or twenty minutes, I was so much better. Yeah, you know, so. Um, that's really, um, it just seems like in my experience, sometimes with really high distress, that's like the only thing, just get it verbalized and let someone hear and kind of, so that someone's with you in it and you're not Mm -hmm. just alone in it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that what you're talking about is vulnerability. You know, I think that there's so much power in vulnerability because it's the opposite of shame. And whenever we have emotions on any level and we fear sharing those with somebody, that comes from kind of a shameful place of saying like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be feeling this. And, um, or maybe I, um, 
you know, need to feel something different. Like it's kind of this almost like we're judging ourselves. Remember I was saying like we can't judge those emotions. So when we get into that place, kind of that shamefulness, embarrassment of those emotions, um, or even just embarrassment of not being able to figure out those emotions. So you might not be embarrassed or shameful that you have the emotions, but the fact that you can't figure them out, that even can bring about some shame and embarrassment. Um, So that's where it's important to be able to have vulnerability be what corrects direction from shame because then vulnerability says, okay, I'm going to be strong um, and courageous and step out and share this, which actually creates deeper connection. um, And it creates relatability because we're not the only ones that deal with these emotions because these emotions are common amongst humankind. Um, And so if that person that you're sharing with isn't feeling that same thing in their life right then and there, I guarantee they felt it at some point in their life <clears throat> and they're able to share with you, hey, this is what worked for me. This is what didn't work. Um, and if they just even sit in it and say, yeah, man, like, I know how you feel, right? And just validate that and say, like, I've been there. I absolutely know how that feels. And you're, you're okay to feel that. It's just so powerful because it creates connection and it creates opportunity to have a perspective shift where we don't just get lost in the rabbit hole of our own um, understanding of our own emotions and just having an outside perspective is really powerful. Um, and even just being able to verbalize our emotions is a form of emotional healthiness and freedom and development as well. Yeah. Do you ever listen to Jordan Peterson? No, I have not. Um, he wrote a book, 12 rules of life and he's a Canadian, um, psychologist and he's an interesting fella. I'll have to look him up. Okay, yeah, he's on YouTube, and he's got a podcast. But um, one thing he said before is um, something people can do for one another is like when you're going through a lot and it's just like a big mess in your head and Mm -hmm. it's confusing and you can't understand it, to um, just to kind of find someone who you can just kind of just get all of that out Mm -hmm. and then they reply back in like summary fashion. Yeah. And if they get it, what you're talking about and they can put it in like a a summary Mm -hmm. then it helps you because you go away from the conversation with it kind of packaged in a oh Mm -hmm. this is what I'm dealing with (laughs) and it's rather than this mess that's so confusing and uh, it just kind of helps to give order to one's Mm -hmm. thoughts and things like that yeah absolutely I think that that's kind of a good other side to the emotional laundry basket thing I was saying earlier where when somebody has um, like good boundaries, they they don't necessarily say like, oh, I'm just going to hold all of your emotion that you've just told me and make it be like my responsibility to clean it up for you. Um, that's where a lot of relationships go wrong and people don't feel heard because the other one just tries to immediately fix it, right? And um, And women do this too. Like men and women both do this where they, you know, you're sharing something with somebody and then it's like, oh, well, here's what you should do, and here's what, and sometimes it's like, I'm just trying to figure it out before I even try to fix it, and so on the other side of that, you know, what you're just saying, having that space to just say, like, okay, here's what I just heard, here's kind of where my summary is based off of what I hear you going through, Um, so it's almost like saying, okay, I'm going to hold this laundry basket in front of me, I'm not going to be your emotional laundry basket, but I'm going to hold it in front of me, put everything in it, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to sort it out from the best I can. And then I'm going to give you back that emotionally laundry basket. 
and I'm going to say, okay, here's, it's a little bit more tidy. I'm not God and, and I'm just doing the best that I can as a friend, but here it is back. And, um, I'm here to support you as you sift through this kind of newer, you know, newly sorted basket of the emotional stuff that you're going through. And that's a good emotional boundary to say like, you know, what you do in your heart with your emotions is ultimately between you and God first and foremost. Then from that responsibility boundary, we say, okay, who do I need as resources to help support that work and help aid in that work, but not do the work for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a whole lot of information. Um, I'm thinking this could be like a book, but um, did, on your website, have you wrote a book or is is that what? Yes, okay. I have. Um, and as you said, this could be a book. <laughs> the, the plight of an author, man, we, we get one book out and we're like, everything's a book now. <laughs> I have like a, I literally have a list of probably like 10 books that I want to write. Um, and I hear people say stuff and I'm like, oh, that's a good book title. Um, but Yes, I have re- I have written a book. It's called Tenacious Grace: Redefine Your Relationship with Food and End Emotional Eating. And really that is that birth that was birthed from my own struggle and desire to put the work in and say, "Okay, I've I've got to figure this out. Like I know how to be healthy logically and um factually, but there's something emotionally and spiritually that is being tripped up." that's not allowing me to walk in that freedom and really reach those new, those new levels. And so, um, really putting the work in and getting some other women along board with me to, we created some support groups early on. <clears throat> we, <clears throat> sorry, we created some support groups and, um, we went through those pilot groups. We did about probably four or five pilot groups. And, um, from that, curriculum I was writing for those groups, I really was like, ah, I basically have a book here. So I went back through and developed those out further into book form. And, um, but really it's, it's honestly, it's a very vulnerable book for me because, <laughs> you know, at the beginning when God was really like, Hey, this is a book. I want you to really get this out there. I was like, are you kidding me? Like one of my biggest struggles and you want me to write a book about it? Like, okay, sign me up. <laughs> but, um, Really recognizing, man, it, you know, it's something I'm going through anyway. If I can at least help somebody else along the journey, then it it brings more purpose to my pain. And often I think that our biggest pains are our biggest platforms for God to really use us and create more purpose within us um, and help us fulfill that purpose. And so I was kind of reluctant at first, but I was like, all right, bring it on, God. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's it's an amazing journey. And I've seen so many women be able to walk in emotional freedom from it and um, and and just even freedom with their relationship with food. And I've seen that as well. And so over the years, I've seen so much um, emotional change and healing that has been translated into physical healing. And um, it's, it's still a journey that I'm walking, and I think I'll always walk it because of, you know, we have to have food to live, right? We can't just abstain from food the rest of our life. Um, so it's something that we have to learn to interact in a relationship with food in a way that keeps it in his place, keeps God in his place, and puts our emotions in their proper place. So yeah. I'm really proud of the book. It's been a really fun journey to do it. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to communication, and especially um, when it comes to communication about emotions and problems and all of that, you know, some people can interact like that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like some people 
um, just don't desire to, mm-hmm. um, they could be like really defensive. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the effort to communicate in um, just an open, honest way, it's almost like, well, it's not worth it for them, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like maybe harder for some people than other people. And it's for them, it's um, just not worth it, you know? Right. So, do you have any thoughts about? Um, I guess you know we just need to accept people where they are and just right. how they are and 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 things like that. But is any thoughts about what's helpful um, as far as interacting with people like that, where the communication is not um, just can't put it out there on the table, mm-hmm. and uh, but still there's the relationship that you want to value and mm-hmm. you want to do the the right thing in it. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think that um, two words come to mind is acceptance and accountability. And so um, they're kind of a two-sided coin. So we have, yes, we definitely want to accept people where they are because, um, I mean, if especially if you're a believer, like that's what God does with us, right? He meets us where we are and helps us to become the best versions of ourselves, right? Which ultimately is, um, a, you know, an image of him and created in his image, and to be growing in that, right? Growing in that truth and those fruits of the Spirit. And so um, when we love in a way that mimics that, we accept people where they are and we say, okay, how can I just help you be the best version of yourself? Like not change you into the version I think you should be, but how can I, like what can I bring to the table that helps you, that breathes life into you to where I can help create an environment within our relationship, within your life that gives you room to grow and to flourish and to do what God has called you to do, to be who God has called you to be. So that's the acceptance part, right? And so many people, we just have to first and foremost get there. Um, I think we're so led, we're either going to be led by fear or led by love in relationships. And if we're led by fear, we go in temperature taking of the relationship and say like, oh gosh, you know, here she said that, that must mean this. And we assume and assumption, it's like a suicide. It, it kills relationship. And it absolutely, <clears throat> it's a false belief system that says, we believe we're God, and I absolutely know what you're thinking and feeling um, without you communicating that to me. And so I'm going to act as if what you're thinking and feeling that I think, and I'm assuming, is reality. And so if you really pulled back the curtain on relationships you see that what they're doing in action with each other is from almost like they're wearing a virtual goggle headset or a virtual reality headset where they, they're assuming something and it's so not the case, but they're temperature taking from behavior and then they make those assumptions and then they're reacting out of that. And so they try to change the dynamic, change the behaviors in that other person that comes from fear that's, you know, all that's motivated by fear and it's in the perspective of assumption. So fear and assumption will always create a very toxic relationship and, um, just really hard living with somebody. Right. And there's a lot of judgment in that, a lot of kind of control in that. Um, so that's the acceptance part, right? We have to really get out of that mode and really get into, that creating an environment to help them flourish, right? Getting the right soil in place, like helping nurture that intent to that. So that's the first part of it. The second part I really believe is the accountability. And I think this is where people are afraid 
to step into accountability, um, especially if they're not walking in emotional freedom within themselves. So what happens is if they're fearful of emotions and have had that belief system that says, well, I'm just not allowed to have emotions here. Um, what happens is they see that other person that's doing something behaviorally that hurts them, but then out of fear of expressing that emotion, they don't express that emotion. And so then they become um, more of like a doormat or they just become, they abandon their own needs and wants and don't express that in a way that helps build relationship deeper, right? Um, <clears throat> so that accountability looks something along the lines of saying, hey, we're in relationship and I desire to have a healthy one. And while I don't want to change who you are, I want to add to that environment to help you be the best you that God's created you to be. Um, we still are two very different humans that interact within a same space. And especially if it's a romantic relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, or family relationships, you're really in a short space. Like you're really in a crowded space to the day-to-day, in and out, you know, same house, same conversations all the time. So it can get pretty dicey, right? So that accountability just really looks like honesty and vulnerability that says, hey, this is hurting me and my feelings are very valid. And I know that it might feel tedious for you to be able to put the effort into change behavior or filter behavior or adjust behavior, depending on what's needed, to be able to help me not just sit in a hurt place. Um, My feelings are valid. What you do with this information is between you and God. And then based on what you choose, then I'll need to just basically create new boundaries for myself and and make the changes as needed and walk through that. Hopefully, if you have a healthy relationship um, and you truly do love the other person you're in relationship with and want to just not hurt them all the time, and you have had this new information that says, oh gosh, I didn't realize what I was doing was hurting them. I don't understand why that hurts them, but they're not me. I'm not them. So if I truly love them and want to help them be the best version of themselves, just hurting them all the time because it's just me and that's how God made me and that's who I am, that's not going to help them. That's going to actually continue hurting them and then the relationship. So it's important to have that accountability that as honest communication, you work through that and you compromise and say, while this feels tedious, the effort is worth it because this person is worth that effort and this relationship and building toward a better one is worth this effort. So I'm going to spend this, you know, money, quote money, of um, effort and adjusting how I'm acting and what I'm saying and what I'm doing or what I'm not saying and doing um, so that I can get a return on that investment emotionally that looks like a better relationship, a better environment. That's going to also help me as well. So so there's the acceptance part that you were describing. I I think I get that. Mm -hmm. And then the other part, if I'm understanding it right, it's like, just not being silent, but expressing how you're feeling in the relationship, um, at least expressing from your side what you see the problems, mm-hmm. some problems are. or um, And that's like the accountability part. Absolutely. And then they may respond. I mean, if the, it's kind of up to them mm-hmm. how they respond. Mm-hmm. And, they, um, and they may respond... Um, at least you, you've given some information for right. them to respond to. Right. So it's like um, acceptance, but not 
just um, that being awe, but you know, still mm-hmm. um, wanting to you know try to move in the right way. But it's yeah. kind of um, two person thing, so it's yeah. just uh, absolutely. And I think we just shoot ourselves in the foot and then complain we're limping later when we have a belief system that says, I want to be in relationship with another human being, but I don't want to put the work in to adjust how me as a human affects that person as a human. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just creates such toxicity because then you just keep shooting yourself in the foot because it, it it's not going to go well, right? Because humans are meant to sharpen each other. And part of that sharpening is being able to accept those places within them but create an environment that wants them to change what they see as hurting other people in relationship with them. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all really good. Yeah. Um, well, um, let's talk more about yourself and just your own, uh, you know, life and, and beliefs. Um, so you come from a Christian, you identify with Christianity. So you come from that perspective. Um, so, um, what does that mean to you, or um, or what c- gives you confidence that that's the right foundational belief for mm-hmm. you to come from, and and uh, you know that type of thing? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I definitely was born into a Christian home, a Christian family, so I was around it when I was younger, um, and then. You know, I really believe um, wholeheartedly that that God is real and the Bible is real and truth and um, the presence of God in our life. I think that when we really experience God and when we really see Him move and feel Him move, it's undeniable. And so feeling that early on in my life, um, you know, yes, I was around it informational-wise and um, environmentally-wise. But when I was moved internally, when I was moved in my own spirit of understanding on a deeper level that there is there is heaven beyond this earth, and there is you know Jesus, and you know I was younger, so I didn't understand intellectually as I do now. But it was a just faith like a child, like I I have faith that Jesus exists, that God is real. And that he wants to save me from my sins and go to heaven, right? And be with him. And so that was kind of the faith like a child part that really ushered me into the Christian walk on a personal level. Um, And then just was growing in my Christian walk in my teen years and um, went off kilter at 21 when some old traumas had resurfaced and I just started spinning. Um, So I was just really running from the Lord in my 20s. Um, running in a lifestyle that really was just doing it my way. Like I was, I was being God of my life. I was saying, you know, the way that I think I should live is the way that I need to do it. And, um, you know, I, I know what's best for my heart and I know what's best from this person and, you know, in this thing and that way. And so I can just tell you, Will, it was excruciating and I make a horrible God, I make a horrible God. And um, because I'm only human and I'm only limited to the very second that I'm in, like I literally, as much as I wish I could read, the very next second, 
um, and know the future, I can't. And so um, I can guesstimate what's going to happen, right? Like I'm, I'm here doing this podcast with you. I can pretty much guess like in the next few seconds I'm going to be talking, right? But ultimately, I seriously don't know. And so um, when we operate in a way that we make decisions out of knowing the future, in kind of our belief system, like, I know how this is going to work out. I know how this is going to be good for me. Um, I think we just really limit ourselves and it actually increases fear and anxiety in our life because we don't know. And we're, it's just a constant roll of the dice. Like we don't, we roll the dice. We don't know what we're going to get. And um, there's just a constant current of fear with that. So that's what I experienced in my twenties doing it my way, definitely not doing it God's way. And, um, it honestly, I had to, I had to hit rock bottom and really crumble on under the weight of my own decision making, my own kind of gospel of life, so to speak. And um, it was then that I really recognized, like, okay, God, like I've got to do it your way because if you, you know, I, I believe the Bible, so I believe that you created me and you created humankind and. You have a desire and a plan for us and it's for our good. Like I don't I maybe don't feel like I believe that right now, but I'm gonna choose to believe it because good Lord knows what I've been choosing is not what I want anymore. And so honestly, a turning point for me, Will, was just saying, I don't really know what's ahead, but I know that it's gotta be better than what I've had. Um, and so and I don't want what I've had. So it was really just going in and, you know, my my first kind of <laughs> come back to that was really just saying, okay, I know how to pray intellectually, Lord. I know what to say, but my heart, what it, the only thing it knows how to pray right now is just your name. And it was just my prayers for a good while was just, okay, Jesus, that's my prayer. Like, I'm just inviting you back in to do what you can do. And we're going to just figure it out as we go. And so um, it was a slow grow, but it came back in. And so I can tell you that just surrendering um, my life over to him and doing it his way, it is undeniable the amount of peace um, and joy and clarity and blessings that I have in my life doing it God's way than doing it my way. And so pain still exists because we're human, right? But um, it's a pain that actually births purpose instead of suffocates life in me. And so I, um, I'm just super passionate about Jesus. I love him dearly. And, um, I just, I've seen the change and freedom that I've experienced in my life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, financially, like everything, right. Just really being able to see my life change. And so I want that for other people. I'm unapologetic about it, but I don't shove it down their throats. And I say like, Hey, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I do that with my clients. You know, I say like, Hey, I'm going to meet you where you are and just support you and help bring you forward um, within where you are. But I'm not, I I would be being a bad friend if I didn't at least throw this option on the table that says, hey, here's a good way to do it. In my opinion, the best way, but what you choose is what you choose. And that ultimately is between you and God and has to be your decision anyway. So, but I'm here to keep working if you want to choose that. (laughs) So when you're saying, but here's a good way to do it, like, um, how are you presenting that? Um, do you have a particular way? So, like, this is a, a, a good way, you know, and what do you say after that? Yeah, I think that um, the way that I've learned really to, like, share Christ and share the gospel is, you know, when I was younger, 
<clears throat> when I was younger, it was, you know, I'd go on like mission trips and, you know, we'd go and we'd have kind of like the Romans road for all of you church goers out there. Um, we'd have like the Romans road and we have kind of like a script that we would be able to like share. And that's beautiful for, you know, quick evangelism. It's, it's a great tool. It's a great way. Um, stepping into, you know, life coaching and having those client sessions and really getting one-on-one with people where I found the most, uh, fun and life changing and amazing ways to see God move in people's lives when I'm sharing him is to insert the gospel in their specifics. So, you know, I'm, I'm in relationship with my client and I have, um, information about their life. And I'm saying, okay, like, this is the very thing that you are struggling with. Like, let me let, here's a good option. And I say like, you know, here's something that Jesus speaks specifically toward that. And it's not me. It's like, look in the Bible. It's right here. And I always tell my people like, don't take my word for it. Like go to the Bible. Right. And if I'm wrong, please tell me. And I will absolutely recorrect and redirect what I'm saying. But I always desire to point people back to God's word and back to what Jesus says. And so I'll insert like, hey, here's some truth that Jesus says that actually correlates directly to what you're going through. And um, that kind of like cracks open the door for them to be like, hmm, okay, what else is behind that? Like what's in that room? You know, if that's speaking directly toward me, then that's a door I want to open up and walk into. Then as I get in the room then I can start learning more and and seeing more of what God does. And I think the biggest thing that I would encourage anybody, any believer who's wanting to share Christ with others is to remember you're not their Holy Spirit. Like we only understand the things of the Spirit because of the Spirit. And so on that spiritual level where that personal relationship connection happens and growth happens, it's not because of us, it's because of the Spirit working in them. And so our job is to point them to the Spirit so that He can do His job and But when we try to get in the way and just try to like almost make their decision for them, it comes from a good place. Of course, we want them to experience what we've experienced, but we've got to have that emotional boundary, back on that emotional boundary thing. We have to have that emotional boundary that says, it's not my job to make the internal change within you happen. That's you and God's job. So how can I bring, what can I bring to your life to be able to increase that environment. And part of that on a spiritual level is to say, hey, this is what Jesus says. So I'm going to introduce you to Jesus over and over and over again. Remember, it's kind of like having a conversation with somebody and you're like, oh, you got to meet so-and-so. Like, they're amazing. You guys would totally connect. And then they wait a while and don't, have you met so-and-so? Like, it's like, I promise you guys just need to connect. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you all about them. Like, I just want you guys to connect. And so it's kind of that dynamic of just really connecting Jesus with people in a way that relates to their life so that they get in the door and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Well, that's interesting. Um, So it's um, kind of like their particular situation Mm -hmm. and that something that Jesus says or the scripture somewhere um, says that really applies to what they're going Mm -hmm. through. Um, The thing is that... uh, a lot of um, Christian principles mm-hmm. are shared by secular, non-Christian people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a part of a men's meetup group, and um, it's been really neat to get out of my circle and meet mm-hmm. with other people. And they're really um, just really neat people, a lot of mm-hmm. them. But there's very few people who are like me, an evangelical believer. Yeah. And um, But their principles, it's like... 
it's kind of like um, one, you know, thinking about others. Um, you know, a lot of it's kind of self-growth and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, a lot of it, it does involve, um, you know, being understanding, questioning one's own, um, you know, uh, Deceptions, you know, and mm-hmm. justifications and so forth. And it's like, well, this, you know, a lot of good stuff. And some people I talk with, I think there's that person has some wisdom to them and mm-hmm. understanding and I things that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. But um, like I think uh, Paul says in uh, the book, Letter of Romans, mm-hmm. um, that the for those who are don't have the law that the law's written on their heart so there's some kind of inner testimony mm-hmm. of like what's right and wrong so that we we have that in common um but you know but some of these people when um when it comes to jesus it's like you know or any kind of traditional view of god mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't seem interesting like they're mm-hmm. not too interested um <clears throat> it's like well there's there's maybe there's something out there <laughs> beyond yeah. just what we see yeah. um but um, the, I don't know. It's almost like I kind of wonder if they have a, a caricature of of God rather than the the real, rich, full body mm-hmm. picture that yeah. Scripture really gives. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So. Yeah, I think that I think you're spot on with that. Well, because you know, so there's so much information, right? I mean, with technology these days, we have a literally at our fingertips within 10 seconds we can pull up research and find information and so I think what has happened is we have so much input of information that we don't have time to output application and test it right it's just let me get all this input information in and I don't have time to actually apply it and let wisdom and application work out um, life change. And so with that dynamic of just information overload, people rely on learning about God instead of knowing God. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where that caricature comes because literally, I love that you said caricature because I've gotten caricatures done, you know, like on beach fronts or, you know, circuses or something where like a painter does those character pictures and, kind of takes some features about you and, you know, over-exaggerates them or whatever, or under-exaggerates them. And I remember this one specific time when I was a, I was in Florida and I got one done and I was expecting it to look one way and he showed it and I was like, what? I was like, that's what you see in me? Like, what is happening? <laughs> that is not me. And um, so I think that that's the same of what people try to do. Like, that person did not know me. Like, if he knew me that caricature portrait would have been so different, right? Because he would have known internal attributes that would have been able to be over-exaggerated or under-exaggerated for the caricature purpose. Um, But he just was knowing about me because he was just seeing me on a surface level. And um, he actually even asked the the friend that I was with, he's like, what's one funny thing about her? And, um, the my friend that was with me she was like her hair it's like an afro when it's like naturally girly (laughs) she's like her hair it's an afro and so he drew like this huge hair and I was like I don't even wear my hair like that all the time (laughs) like what is happening but um so yeah I think that that's what we do with God like I think we just get so really lazy in saying oh I'm just gonna learn about God and his characteristics and just create this picture in my mind of who he is 
and and base that off of you know base my reality and understanding perspective of God off of that. And I just my heart hurts. Like I mean, my heart hurts for God. Not I mean, God's God and He's okay. But like I can just see Him burdened for like man if if you would just know me, like if you would just get to know me on my terms for me. Like, I feel that as a human being. I'm like, would you get to know me? I want to be seen. I want to be known. And I want to be cherished for what you see and know. Like, that's a core desire for me as a woman heart and as a human heart. If I feel that way, how much more does God feel that way and get saddened by people just learning about him and interacting with him as such versus seeing him and knowing him for who he is and then cherishing that on his terms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that um, the secular world and Christians have in, in common is that um, guilt does not help and doesn't motivate. And we really do have, Christianity has an answer to that that's really a mm-hmm. uh, satisfying answer. But um, from the sec- secular point, um, you know, you hear... Um, you hear that guilt doesn't help and that you should, um, but I don't know, sometimes the answer is just kind of superficial. So that's like you were talking about pointing to things. That's kind of um, like something that could be pointed to mm-hmm. saying, hey, from the Christian perspective, this is how it's, guilt's dealt with. Because mm-hmm. I think the elimination of guilt is life-changing and freeing mm-hmm. and... Um, and it's really a good thing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that guilt and shame kind of go together, right? And so guilt is what I've done. Shame is who I am. Hmm. And, um, you know, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he took care of the guilt part, right? He paid for our sins. He He set us free from that debt that we owed, that guilty debt hmm. um, on a sin soul level, right? And then he eradicated shame because even when he was on the cross, the verse says that he despised his own shame and said, this crucified Jesus is not who I am. He said, who I am is Jesus, God, who is here in Jesus, son of God's form, to be able to save people and and create relationship, save them from sins and create relationship. And <clears throat> that's when he said, okay, that's what's set before me. And he, I just love that he, within shame, like I talk about shame a lot with my work that I do. And um, I love that he set the precedence for shame for us. And a lot of Christians, I think, overlook that. Um, And we recognize like, okay, if Jesus himself had to feel the feeling of shame, right? Just go back to the EEE thing I was talking about, the experience. Jesus experienced shame. He embraced it in a way that says like, okay, I understand what this is, but then he expressed it in a way that said, I'm not going to let it dictate who I am. I'm not going to let the perception and the realization that I'm feeling this way be what I believe who I am, right? He knew there's a bigger purpose here, so I'm not going to let shame cause me to derail that purpose and change why I'm doing this. Hmm. And so guilt definitely... Um, does not help. Shame does not help. There are wet blankets that keep us hidden and always turn inward against ourselves, And that's Satan's ploys, I think, for um, believers and even non-believers. And I don't know how many people I've talked to that are not believers that they are just like, I've just done enough bad things that God wouldn't 
you know, want me. <clears throat> that's a mix of shame and guilt right there. I've done enough bad things, that's guilt, that God would not want me. That's shame. Mm-hmm. I've done enough bad things, um, so I am not good enough. So that's the guilt and shame gameplay that Satan plays all the time to keep people from relationship with Christ and people who are in relationship with Christ keeping them from growing in Christ into spiritual maturity. And so whenever we can lean into that again and say, okay, God, let me know you for who you are, not just my perception of you, then I'm able to look at how you view shame and guilt and have said specifically in Romans that there is no condemnation and condemnation houses both guilt and shame. Yeah. I think fear might be a manifestation of guilt too, Mm -hmm. like we're afraid of what someone might think of us or, or something like that. I think down at the root of it, it's the guilt and shame stuff oh, going yeah. on. Absolutely. Know. Absolutely. Um, well, you, you mentioned like knowing God for who he is. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you direct someone to, you know, if someone said, I want to know God, I want to know him better, not just about him. I really want to grow mm-hmm. in a real knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. What would your directions be for that person? Yeah, I would first, um, I I honestly would just really put to the side your preconceived notions, right? So if somebody, let's go back to that caricature of me. If I, if somebody said, hey, I want you to know Jenna, here's a picture of her, right? It's an inaccurate picture. And so I would want to invite that person to say, okay, put that caricature aside and let's just spend some time together where you get to know who I am. And I'm going to, that time spent together is um, talking, right? And spending time together so you can see how I live my life, what I do, how I operate, how I think, what things happen because I'm around, um, good and bad, right? And um, also things that I write to you, like through text message or email or social media or whatever, right? So I think those three things are super important for um, people to really know who God is. Number one, you got to talk to him, right? But the key part is really just having that open line of communication, right? And so when you're open to the spirit, the spirit's moving, it's going to lead you into relationship with him. And then you've got to make that decision to say, okay, I'm wanting to walk into this relationship and really get to know you for who you are. Um, Just like you know, like I just said earlier, I was in a re- I'm in a relation. I'm in a recent relationship. Um, I have to be able to get to know him more, and him to get to know me more. We have to be in relationship, right? So I can't get to know somebody better when they're like a million miles away, and I'm not in relationship with them. So that relationship dynamic is really the key paramount to if you're going to know God on His terms. There's going to be a level of surrender and faith that says all right, I I see enough and I've heard enough that I want to enter into the relationship to be able to get to know him more and to be able to have that deeper connection. Um, And so then at that point, there's that communication, right? So prayer, um, just open communication, and it's a position that says, I'm here and I'm ready to learn and to do life with you. Um, And then the other dynamic is that I'm going to watch how you work. Like I'm going to watch where you're working in the lives of other believers. Um, that's why church fellowship is so important to be able um, to see what God is doing in the lives of others. If we only have our perspective to look at and we don't hear 
about what God is doing in, you know, Susie and Bobby's life and and Joe and Mary's and like, oh my gosh, God really did that for you guys? Like, that's amazing. Like, I'm seeing the evidence of God's presence in the lives of other people I'm doing life with. That's just corroborating evidence that's saying there's like something really working here. And I want that. Like, I want growth and, and peace and, and joy and help through the hard stuff. I want that too, right? And so watching how God's working in the life of other believers and even in the lives of non-believers is really important too. And then thirdly, it's reading what he writes us, right? It's reading his word. It's studying his word. Um, there's different translations out there. And so really being able to get into a study mindset that says, okay, I'm not going to just read the words face to face and just take them for what I'm reading. I'm going to study and say, okay, what are the other translations saying, do they line up? Okay, what's the core message I'm receiving from these multiple things I'm studying, right? But ultimately, they're God's Word. They're what God is saying. And um, it says that the Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so it it has the ability to cut through our confusion. It has the ability to cut through our doubt. Um, I think we forget that God is so much more powerful than our fears and our confusion and our doubt and our human minds. Mm. Like the creator of those things um, or those minds that house those things, like he's going to be able to cut through that, especially with his word that he's told us can even cut through bone and marrow. Um, So those three things I would say really are the pinnacles of, at least in my mind, um, of really getting to know someone is that time communication and um, observation. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess just kind of before we wrap up, just kind of thinking about yourself. um, I guess one question I'd like to ask is um, what has made major impacts in your life? Has it been a person or a book or an experience or something that has really um, made you who you are today? Anything comes to mind? Um, I honestly would probably, like other than just kind of more the obvious answers for me being God and family mm-hmm. and friends, like I think that those are massive. But I think really the the golden nugget in there is vulnerability. I mm. really think that, when I learned how to be vulnerable and marry vulnerability with humility, and I think you have to be humble to be able to be vulnerable, um, but I think when I really married those two attributes within my heart and mind, um, I became more teachable. I became um, less prideful. I became more malleable, more able to be molded into that better version of me that God has intended for me to be. And so that took uh, saying no to shame because I had to be vulnerable and say, okay, you know what? I I ran for a decade and that house is a lot of opportunities of some pretty shameful things and, and experiences and a lot of pain came from a decade of just craziness. I lovingly refer to that as the great rebellion (laughs) in my life. It has its own era. But um, a lot of that could easily have been a platform for shame. So it took the grit and the grace to be able to um, despise my own shame, like Jesus modeled for me on the cross. And 
have a humble spirit and push courage up to show up who I am authentically, even in the messiness, and trust the people around me to hold that space and help me and not just judge me and leave me. And man, did God show up in big, big ways for that. And I would not be sitting here talking to you the way I'm talking to you if it was not for the vulnerability that I chose, the people that I surrounded myself with, and God's grace to walk me through all of that, and ultimately His healing. Yeah. Um, someone out there who talks about vulnerability a lot is Brene Brown. Do you ever oh, listen to her? She's my hero. <laughs> is she? No, I'm not that familiar with her. I love her. her, yeah. I've listened to her a couple of times on a like, TED Talk or so, mm-hmm. but um, so her... She's helpful, and she, you enjoy her. And so Absolutely, forth? yeah. She's okay. definitely <clears throat> more of like a secular mentality, okay. um, but I think it's. I think that we as Christians can't be afraid to gather information, like you were saying earlier, like kind of broaden your horizons. As long as we have our anchor set in Christ, mm-hmm. um, we can, and and that's our filter. Like I think if you put like the biblical worldview, if you're a believer, put the biblical worldview as your filter. And you can gather information that says, okay, what does this have to do? And then how do I filter that through the biblical worldview? And so um, I think that that's important. But I definitely cherish a lot of you know secular people's writings um, because it's clinical in nature or psychological in nature or um, biological or relational or anything like that. But she is she's a powerhouse, man. I mean, <clears throat> and I love um, if you if you've listened to her TED talks. Her second one, she exclaims that um, after the first TED Talk, she was like freaking out because she was like, I can we just go break in and like delete the recording of that video because uh, like I'm not ready for 400 people. And then she said, and I definitely wasn't ready for 4 million. Hmm. And so she's been doing her research for about 12 years or so. And I think that she was saying that she just had to really fast track, uh, the vulnerability issue. And she got into counseling herself. And, um, so, you know, she's definitely one of my heroes with the vulnerability stuff. And, um, I actually felt that way after I launched my book. So June 6th, I launched my book this last year. And, um, I mean, the book has definitely some vulnerable details about my life and about my struggles and my thought process and feelings and, after I launched and I had like over a hundred copies sold, uh, the first weekend, I was like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) So I like the next weekend, I really got kind of into like a little mini breakdown and I was like, Oh, I can't take it back. Like I don't, I don't have control over who knows my story. And I've spent so many years controlling who knew my story mm-hmm. and who knew what version of me. And so I had a little mini heart attack, Will. Um, but God was so good and he brought me through that. And um, I was in counseling as well. I, I mean, I still have a counselor. I think that I think everybody needs a counselor. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, so it was definitely uh, knowing that somebody else had kind of walked through that and many other authors walked through that as well. Um, I was able to just kind of be like, okay, well, vulnerability, there is connection and intimacy when vulnerability is present. Hmm. And, um, that's really what I wanted more so than my own level of control. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, uh, a guest on a podcast a while back and I don't know if he used the word vulnerability or something else. Um, 
I'll just use vulnerability. Um, it may have been a synonym, but we get done. He says, I think I'm feeling vulnerability uh, fatigue. <laughs> and I could relate to what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does drain you because it it, it activates kind of on a, on a lower level, it activates your fight or flight response because vulnerability is the bridge from fear to love really. Hmm. And, you know, fear says, I don't, I don't want to open up. I don't want to share that because I'm fearful of how you're going to think of me, what you're going to do, what's going to happen as the fallout. Um, but when I walk over that bridge of vulnerability, it could be a creaky bridge sometimes and you're freaking out doing it. Um, but on the other side is deeper relationship, intimacy and love that can be, that can grow and that environment to where people can have really healthy relationship um, and just safety, right? Safety and love where I feel like, oh, okay, the, the bridge didn't collapse. You're still here. Like God's still working. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not all be roses and easy, but that doesn't mean it's not working. Um, and so it is draining because on literally a neurological, physiological level, um, we're feeling the draining aspect of the fight or flight system kicking in from fear. And so, yes, it is draining on a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, all of the levels, because it's challenging, but it's something that moves us forward. Um, Yeah, it's an adventure. I can (laughs) see that because you're not in control. You're kind of giving up control. Uh You're venturing into the unknown. Truth is like that. Like if you um, use your words in such a way that you kind of try to manipulate what people think Mm -hmm. of you and Mm -hmm. how the situation's going to go forward, then you're in control. But if you are just really um, putting out the truth the best that you can, Mm -hmm. you don't know where it's going to go. Right, (laughs) right. And it's kind of like an adventure. And I think sometimes I'm... So I value that. I value connection mm-hmm. uh, with other people and my kids and friends and so forth. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes I know it, probably it's not always right just to put the truth out there just mm-hmm. without thought. Um, I mean, there needs to be love mixed in as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a little bit, um, you know, I'm just not sure. Um, is this the right thing to say right now? I mean, this is the true answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it could be um, like uh, sometimes um, well, we're going through a, um, a study of John right now mm-hmm. and it's kind of neat. It's like each, there's a, a little passage that you go through each day and there's journaling questions. And before it gets into questions about the passage, there's, um, you know, what's something I can thank God for today? And then what difficult thing is going on in my life that I need to trust him for. Mm-hmm. And then once a week we get together and we, um, we do, we go through a day together. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to that second question, and I've experienced this in Sunday school class too, where we're kind of sharing, mm-hmm. well, what temptation have you experienced lately? It's, um, I'm not always sure. Should I just tell the truth here about mm-hmm. like, what is, um, the difficult thing? Uh, I guess maybe what, um, makes it hard sometimes is because sometimes the difficult thing we're going through, it doesn't involve just us. It involves mm-hmm. other people too. So should I just put that out there? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, it's kind of not always just really clear, just, well, truth, 
but how does love fit in there too? Mm. And, you know, it's got a, they have to work together somehow, you know. But. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where wisdom comes into of who we surround ourselves with because, mm. you know, trust is built by trustworthy actions. And if you are seeing in your friendships and relationships in life that, okay, this is, there's trust here. Like I'm able to share certain emotions and experiences and I see you're trustworthy with that because your trustworthy actions were you you held a space for that, you prayed for me, you um, counseled me, you, <clears throat> you were confidential with it, you encouraged me, you pointed me back to Christ, you just listened to me. Like those are all trustworthy actions to be able to respond in those ways. And so when you can gauge trust in relationship, it's, it's a, it's a progression too. like, we don't just come out of the gate and be like, Oh, here's every detail and all the things, right. We kind of, mm-hmm. we're careful who we let our hair down around, so to speak. And so, and that's just wisdom. It's saying like, I think a big thing God taught me is like, there's this mentality that says like, you don't just get access to me. Um, you, you build trust and, and learn how to have that be an earned thing not that people have to earn things from me, but in the way of just like trust has to be there, right? Relationship has to be there. Otherwise, then we're just emotional laundry baskets for each other and all of that messiness happens and there's not wisdom in that. Um, and so trust is built in relationships definitely. And so when you're dealing with those higher level things that you're like, ah, this includes somebody else, it includes my partner and my people and like you just really got to ask, okay, who is trustworthy in my life that I can trust to hold this information in a way that does not just let me, um, let me have like, it doesn't just like keep throwing gasoline on my fire because that I definitely do not believe that when a friend just is like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like they're just throwing gasoline on your fire. That's not helping you. Right. It's, I see you raging a fire in you and this is hurtful. So I'm going to just, just contain it for you while you burn and, and kind of use wisdom to see how I respond to that. Like that's a good friend to be mm-hmm. able to just be like, what's actually for your good instead of just like feeding the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I think with that dynamic, it's just, it's who's trustworthy to be able to hold this and, and, and respond in a way that actually helps my situation, not, makes it worse or causes me to pull away from it, but instead gives me concrete feet in it that says you need to plant your feet and choose wisdom and love and let those two lead, not fear and confusion. And, um, I think that that's when we, when we can really practice that and have the right people around us, then we can really have that dynamic to where we can be a little bit more unfiltered with the truth because we know it's a safe space to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any like uh, rituals or disciplines that are a part of your life that are uh, really meaningful to you that you do daily, weekly, or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've really I don't do this perfectly every single morning, but it's I would say I would say eight times out of ten um, I'm doing a morning devotion with spending time in God's Word and praying, and I journal out my prayers um, just for my personality. I <clears throat> I learn best when I can take notes and hear. And so when I'm kind of writing out my prayers and hearing from God and I kind of write out what I have just been hearing and 
I can tell you what, Will, I, f- I feel like I've had so many counseling sessions with the Holy Spirit to where I feel like he's a person literally sitting there right on my couch because it's been so just clear truths that are dropped in my spirit and downloaded that I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that about myself or I didn't realize that. And so it's it's been some very, very sweet, cherished time. Like my morning times have been um, really powerful in my growth um, in the last three I would say in the last three to four years, that's been a discipline that I've really set in place to have Jesus and Jenna time in the mornings. So pretty much before 10 o'clock, roughly, um, I, I have that time frame to just say that's Jesus and Jenna time. And I've gotten into having Jesus time first with some Bible study and devotion and then having some gym time for myself to where I tend to my body, whether that's in a way of um, doing workouts or going to the gym or taking a walk or even just sitting there and having coffee and resting because my body is extremely tired because the week has been insane. Like just really learning to tend to my body as a place where it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the first place I get to go to worship God because he's dwelling within me. And um, so it's it's definitely been, I think the biggest time of just Jesus and Jenna time in the mornings has been the biggest thing. And then of course, church fellowship um, and getting you know back into church in a way that has been paramount because of creating friendships and relationships within church has been really big too. But honestly though, the one, the, the discipline that has helped me the most and that I cherish the most is those morning times in the word and, um, tending to myself in the way that helps. Yeah. Well, thanks Jenna. It's been really good spending time with you and learning from you and talking with you. Um, do you want to give out any way that people can get a oh, in contact with you if they wanted to website or blog or anything like that yeah absolutely um and first of all thank you for having me this has definitely been such a fun conversation i thrive off of this conversation well so i'm like just really enjoying it today um but yes you anybody can get a hold of me on my website jennabarbosa.com and that's pretty much the hub of all things me um it's got my book stuff there it's got um the coaching stuff it's got uh just me and so um that's really where I would encourage you to go. My social media is also connected on my website. So really just jennabarbosa.com is where I would lead you to. All right. Well, thanks, Jenna. Thanks so much, Will. Mm-hmm.